from Exodus 20, and I'm going to read the first 21 verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The reading of God's word. And I want to invite Greg Phelan. We are continuing our series in Exodus looking at the patience and presence of God. We've seen God save Israel out of slavery. um, And Israel is still full of bitterness and grumbling. Uh, And yet God remains uh, patient with them, miraculously providing for them. Um, and showing incredible kindness to them. Now, today's passage is no different, but you might not realize it. So today, God gives the Ten Commandments. And, you know, I think everybody has at least heard of the Ten Commandments. So, you know, you might think, okay, we had patience and kindness, now law. Right? Commands, not kindness. Regulations, not grace. Um, But that could hardly be further from the truth. We'll see that the law is every bit reflective of God's provision and kindness to Israel. Um, so as we look at this, this passage, we're going to consider three things. Uh, we'll see uh, the order of God's actions, the uses of the law, and the heart of the law. So order, uses, and heart. Okay, let's pray. God, I ask that you would um, speak clearly and that you would open our hearts um, to receive your word for us, your good news. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so first, the order of God's actions, Um, starting with a pretest, don't shout it out. Uh, What has Israel done so far to earn God's salvation? 
Okay, because they were in slavery in Egypt and God miraculously set them free with signs and wonders and parting the Red Sea. So what did Israel do to deserve that? Okay. Well, clearly it's, they obeyed the Ten Commandments, right? Um, no, because they didn't even have the Ten Commandments yet, right? God saved them before he gave them the Ten Commandments, God already led them out of Egypt. He already defeated their enemies. He made bitter water sweet. He fed them with manna from heaven. He made water flow from the rock. He's leading them personally. He's providing them. So, why is God giving the Ten Commandments now? Well, it's not so they can earn God's salvation going forward. Okay? I mean, I know we just have sort of said this, but we could say this ten million times and it still wouldn't sink in. Because the default mode of our heart is, we need to do something, right? We think we have to earn God's favor, we have to earn God's love. There's something we do, right? We do what God says, and then maybe one day, right? That's our default setting. You must do something. You know how, like, when you get a new phone or computer or car or whatever, there's all these default settings, and if you want to change them, you have to go to settings or download You know, There's all this stuff you have to do to, to reprogram the default. Well, this is our default setting. We have to do something. But reprogramming that is a little harder than just flipping a switch and downloading an app. Okay? Listen, everywhere in the Bible, the order is always the same. First, God sets us free. Grace. Second, God instructs us how to live. And that's still grace. Okay? God, this is the good news of God, right? Do you know the difference between news and advice? Right? The gospel is good news. God did something. God already set you free before you could possibly do anything to deserve it. God saved Israel before they could obey the law because they didn't even have the law yet. And God purposed to save you before you did anything ever to deserve his love. Now, you might say, okay, they didn't have the law but surely God had some reason for saving them, right? And indeed, God did. He tells us. Let me tell you. So this is from Deuteronomy 7. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Okay? So, it wasn't because you were the most. It's not because you were the strongest or the bestest or the whateverest. It was because I love you. That's what God said. God has chosen you because he set his love on you and chose you. God promised generations ago to love you. That's why God loves you. Okay? Got it? So, God loves you and he promised to love you. And that's why God loves you. Period. Right? And I know, I'm really going on because this is really revolutionary. There is no other religion in history on the planet where salvation comes before you do anything. No religion, no philosophy, no worldview, nowhere. Everywhere else you do something. Right? You obey the rules, you live a moral life, you commit yourself to something bigger than yourself, you practice, observe, you do the rituals... And then one day you'll be accepted, whatever acceptance is. So, um, for example, 
nirvana in Buddhism, okay? Um, how do you and nirvana come together, right? Like, what's the relationship between you and nirvana in Buddhism, you know? You achieve nirvana. You reach nirvana. Nirvana is not received. It isn't given. You do something. You spend your life doing many things. You might spend many lives. Um, and then maybe you achieve it. Now, as an aside, I never really understand how people can compare Buddhism and Christianity and then with integrity say they basically teach the same thing. Right? Because I'm sorry, one is a salvation you achieve and one is a salvation you receive because you could never achieve it. Now, there are many similarities among world religions, for sure. But fundamentally... For the thing that matters the most, Christianity could not be more different from every other religion. Now, earn salvation. That's in every traditional religion, and it's in our modern society as well. Um, you know, we use different words. We don't say salvation and ritual like that, but it's the same thing. Because today's new thing is the religion of self-expression, authenticity, right? You do you. Express your truth. So how do you achieve Nirvana today, well, you free yourself of following what anybody thinks of you. Right? You throw off the shackles, you define your own path, you let it go. And I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Right? Maybe you also like, be a good person and make the world a better place, but the good news is you get to define what those terms mean. Um, and until you let it go and you do you and find the UEU, you aren't free. Right? Your life isn't meaningful until you've created your own meaning and achieved it. Okay? And we agree to those terms today because we think, that actually sounds pretty good. Right? It resonates with our default setting, that we're in charge, that we have something to do. Uh, and, you know, we also think it's easier, right? Because, after all, we're the ones setting all the rules. But if you've spent any time trying to find meaning and satisfaction by living this way, you know it is a crushing burden. And if you don't know that yet, it's because you're too young to have really tried for very long. Um, you know, and just this week, I read a Scientific American blog, and it was, and the, the question was, when do we feel the most authentic? Right? Because that's what this is about, authenticity. And uh, what they found is you don't feel the most authentic when you're actually being the most authentic. It's when you're acting the way society values. So the religion of authenticity is a delusion. So, you know, you, you may think that this will work, and it's either because you're young or delusional, and they could be correlated. Um, <laughs> but the responsibility of being the one in charge, of finding, defining, and achieving your own meaning, independent of what anybody on the planet has ever thought, it's a crushing burden that nobody can bear. And that's why today anxiety levels and stress levels are higher than any society in history. Live your truth or you are nothing, which is really what we say. It's a crushing burden. Make your own meaning or your life is meaningless. It will destroy you. Real meaning that lasts is received, not achieved. There's nothing that satisfies the way grace does. 
The only God in the history of the world that saves you first is the God of the Bible. You receive God's love. You don't achieve it. God comes down to you. You don't reach up to him. And that's why the gospel is, when you were God's enemy, he died to forgive you and to make you his own. God loved you first. So, God has already saved his people. Why is God giving the law to Israel? And and why does Jesus bother to tell us how to live if he's just going to die to forgive us anyways? God is giving Israel a marker of his promise. Now, it, it, it's, it's more than a marker, but, you know, hear me out. The Ten Commandments are not a legal code. Okay, so you might know many civilizations in the ancient Near East, they had legal codes. Um, so they were rules for how society should work, etc. Um, and those legal codes always include rules and punishments if you broke them, just like today's legal code. So if you drive too fast and you get caught, some of you know what happens, okay, right? right? You pay a fine, okay? Uh, but notice there are no punishments listed here. Why is that? Because this isn't a legal code. This is a covenant code, okay? So little history background for a second. A covenant is a relationship that's more binding than just a regular personal relationship, but it's more personal than a mere contract. Okay, so it's a relationship built on a promise. So if you study history, you would often have two kings, um, and they would come together to make a covenant together, to make a treaty. So like maybe one king conquered the other, or the two kings come together before they're going to fight to make peace. Um, And they would make an agreement to have a binding relationship. And they would say, we're entering into this relationship, and these are the terms of the treaty, so to speak, okay? Um, So here, what we call the Ten Commandments, and what everywhere else in the Bible will be called the Ten Commandments, were originally called the Ten Words, because the Hebrew word for for word, um, it's, it's a word that means the stipulations of a political treaty. So God's words are the stipulations for living as God's people. You might be wondering, okay, uh, so, so why stipulations? Well, remember, for what purpose did God save Israel? Right? So we already went over, they didn't, they didn't earn it, but like, why did God choose to do it? What was his purpose in saving Israel? God saved them so that they could be his chosen possession to bless the world and be a blessing. God saved them so that he could dwell with them. Okay, so let me give you an illustration. Suppose I give my boys a gift. Okay, so it's it's a grace. They didn't earn it. But then I say, this gift, it's very nice. These are the rules for how to use it. Right? Because in my case, they're wild creatures who might break it otherwise. Um, so the rules help them use the gift properly. That's why you give them a gift and then you say, this is how you use it. So God's rules are for us so we know how to live as his people. So we know how to use the gift. Right? And so to be clear, what's the gift that God's giving us that he wants us to understand how to use correctly? It's himself. It's his presence. And remember, God 
promised this to them. So God promised Abraham centuries before. He said, I will make you a nation and I will bless you and I will bless the whole world through you. Right? God promised to do that. And when God promised to Abraham, he made a covenant. So go to Genesis 15, look it up. If you just read it, you think this is weird. It's God making a promise. God gave the law as a foundation of his promise. Right? Remember, a covenant is based on a promise. And so far, God's the one making all the promises, right? He says, I will make you a nation. I will bless you. I will bless the world through you. The Ten Commandments were the foundation of the promise. So God gave the law so we would know how to live as God's rescued, saved, treasured people. So post-test, what came first for Israel and what comes first for us? Grace or law? It's a little bit of a trick question because it's still grace both times. Okay? All right. So, God gave us the Ten Commandments after he saves us as a foundation for his promise. So, now that we have it, how do we use the law? Okay? So, God gives us the law so that we will know how to live as God rescues, saved people. Now, the Ten Commandments are like the summary statement. Right? If you read through the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and, you know, if you read a lot of the Bible, you'll see God has a lot more to say than just these ten words. But these ten words are kind of like a summary for the rest. Um, and what that means is each command implies a lot more than just what's there. Okay? So, for example, uh, pastors for centuries have recognized that for every command, there's a positive and a negative to it. So each command is stated in one way, but it implies both things. So there's something we must do, and there's something we must not do. Okay? Each command has both. So we have a command, don't murder, which is a, is a negative, right? That's don't, don't do that. But if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, or if you hear how Jesus explains God's desires, you know, you learn that we're supposed to do a lot more than simply not murder, Right? We must, be, uh, we must not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor. Uh, and we must be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. So don't murder is a summary of all that God says about how we respond to the image of God in every person. Um, or don't steal, right? It means don't take stuff that's not yours without permission, right? Um, but it also means don't withhold good when you have the ability to do it. So don't steal is a summary of all that God teaches about how we use resources, whether ours or others, to bring wholeness, peace, and justice to God's world. Okay? When we look at the Ten Commandments, we don't say, well, you know, I didn't end anybody's life today, so I'm good on that law. Right? There are two sides. There's what we must do and what we must not do. And this is why Jesus and others summarize the law as saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So the law shows us how to live. So as saved people, how do we use it? So for Christians, there, there are two main uses. Um, so first, the law shows us God's character. Right? It shows us who God is. So, I mean, a lot of people, they like to say, you know, I like to think of God as 
And then, you know, fill in the blank, whatever comes to mind. And, and then, you know, then you determine what pleases God essentially by just making it up in the same way that you think of God, you know, the same way. You know, but, I mean, it'd be like if I said, I like to think of my wife as somebody who just does my every wish and desire and, what it, and she's pleased by me being a deadbeat dad. You might wonder where I got that. You know, you find out what pleases somebody by letting them tell you. So if God has saved you and you want to please him, you figure out what pleases him. You don't sit around and say, well, you know, I feel like God is pleased when, like, you know, any more than I sit around and think, I feel like my wife is pleased when, right? Like, you find out. So God gave us a covenant code that reveals what pleases him. Right? The Ten Commandments do encapsulate God's moral law. So God tells us what to do uh, and what not to do because it's what pleases him. So first, we use the law of God to learn what God desires. Um, second, we use the law of God as a mirror. Now, one definition of what it means to be a Christian is that your greatest desire in life is to love, worship, and serve the Lord. Your greatest desire in life is to love, worship, and serve the Lord. Um, So if Jesus has saved you, forgiven you, um, set you free, cleansed you, then your greatest delight is to love him. And that means becoming like him. Listen to this. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not try to be like Christ. So we use the law to see, how are we doing? And God's revealed law helps us to grow in being like Jesus, right? And this works, again, in in two ways, like both positive and negative. Um, So in a positive way, God's law tells us what to aim for. Um, You know what it means to be more like Jesus if you know what Jesus was like and what Jesus commands. So if you study God's word and you see what does God want for my life? If you study God's word and you see, what is God like? Right? Then you know what you're striving for. So, you know, imagine you, you play baseball or golf or, you know, some sport, whatever it is, and you want to improve your swing because maybe like right now it looks like this because you're playing in a sports coat. Um, well, you know, if you're going to go and practice, you can't just keep practicing that swing. You need to know what a good swing looks like. Right? You need to have, like, what's the example of a good swing? Like, how do you pivot, right? Like, you need to practice. And you need to know what you're practicing for. You need a good example. So, positively, God's law shows us what to aim for. Like, what is God like and what do we need to be like? Um, in a negative way, God's law shows us the problems we still have. So, imagine you've been, you know, working all day and your hands are dirty and in the dim light of the evening, you don't see the, the dirt very well, but you go inside, you shine on a bright light, and you see the dirt sits there. Right? Uh, but the light doesn't make you dirty. As we seek to please the one who rescued us, we need God's light to show us where we're still falling short. Uh, and now this, this, is, this is the part that's uncomfortable, right? Because nobody likes to be reminded of how they continue to fail. And uh, if you had to do something to save yourself, this would be awful. It would be the worst part of life. 
Um, but it's not if you understand grace. So let me, let me give you a, a, a personal illustration. Uh, just the other day, during worship, over there carrying my enormous Joshua, and we're, we're singing praises, and I remembered some conflict in my life and some of the, frankly, horrible thoughts I had been feeling and thinking. Um, and, you know, as we're praising God, God's just bringing up the muck, and I feel crappy. It feels bad. Um, and I'm like... I am not worthy to go into his presence. And the music stops, and Lori walks up, and she says, now is the time that we get to confess our sins and receive from God what is already true. And, I mean, I can't I literally breathed out a sigh of relief. I was like, thank God. Right? This is what I need to do and hear. And, I mean, look, nobody was forbidding me from in that moment, like, sitting down and praying and confessing my sins. But let's be honest, I was not about to do that. You know, on my own, I wasn't about to take hold of the truth of God's forgiveness and patience. Right? And then, as Lori prayed for us, God's word just washed over me, and I felt God's forgiveness afresh. Um, And you know what? Later, the next day, and later throughout that week... There were times where I'd remember the stuff inside, and I remembered what I had learned that day in worship. Right? I can confess this. I don't need to sit in how it feels. I can confess this and bring this to God, and I can receive his worship. Like, I can receive his forgiveness. Um, right? That time of confession on Sunday was a gift that kept on giving. Right? And... When we understand grace, we understand how confession and forgiveness works. And look, if we want to be like Jesus, right, if we want to please him, this takes a lot of help. It doesn't happen naturally, right? So we are going to need his word to guide us, right, positively and negatively. We need others to help us. We need, like, everything we can get, okay? Um, And, you know, we will grow in holiness, as we follow Jesus, um, but we're also going to get closer to the light. So that pain of seeing the dirtiness of our sin doesn't go away even as we do grow in holiness. Right? But we go into the light because that's where grace is found. Okay? So a third brief point, another reason God gives us the law is because if we follow it, things will be better for society. Right? So uh, the world is a better place when we don't murder, lie, steal, when we're content with what we have, when we live generous lives. Um, God even tells Israel, he said, if you follow my commands, the other nations will look at you and they will say, you are such a just and generous society. You must have an amazing God. So God gives his moral law as an act of common grace because he cares about everybody. So, you know, we ought to follow God's law as a way of caring for others. Okay, so that's the order of God's actions, the uses of the law, finally the heart of the law. Okay, so first, there's our heart issue. The law is not just about what we do. And I think Paul recognized this better than anybody. So when he was a Pharisee, before he became a Christian, he thought, I will do what the law says and God will accept me. God will be pleased with me. But after he met Jesus, he realized that uh, he had to rethink everything he knew. 
Right? So, right, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then for three days, he's struck blind. And he also fasts and prays for three days. Right? Because he's like, I've got to figure out what just happened. And in Romans 7, Paul tells us how he got how the law works. Right? So he says, you could go, you know, through commands 1 through 9, and you could say, okay, this is what I do. But then he got to don't covet, and Paul tells us it slew him. He says it killed him. Because he read don't covet, and he realized two things. First, this is not about what he does. Coveting is about what you feel or what you want. It's about what's in your heart. God was commanding him to to feel something, to want something. And then he realized that, that every command was really not about what he does, but what he wants. And he instantly knew he didn't fulfill the law. Because he didn't really want what God wants, even if he sometimes obeyed in his actions. And the second thing is he heard don't covet, and then he started to. Right, something inside of him pounced on God's law and it said, this is what God desires, don't do it. The very thing that was meant to show him how to please God led him to do the opposite. So Paul realized that he had a big problem. Right? God commanded our hearts to be different than they are and our hearts reject those very commands. Right? So Now, before Paul met Jesus... He said he was alive apart from the law. Now, remember, he grew up a Jewish boy. He always had the law. So what does it mean to be apart from the law? He's saying he kept the the law at arm's length. He didn't let it sink its teeth into Paul. But after Paul met Jesus, he's like, I got to rethink everything here. And he rethought the law. And when he let the law come close, he ceased to live apart from the law And in his own words, he died. And this is a major, major problem for us. Martin Luther put it this way. You don't break commands 2 through 10 unless you break the first one. Right? You don't disobey God unless something is more important to you than God. Right? You don't murder, cheat, cheat, lie, steal, commit adultery unless you first break the first command have no other gods, right? You don't disobey God unless there's something more important to you than God, right? You disobey because something else is your God and you're willing to disobey God in order to get it. So Paul realized, he said, if I really reflect on God's law, I see clearly, I don't want what God wants and something makes me want to do wrong and apparently... I've never truly loved God as God alone. And that's true of all of us. And the problem is not primarily our behavior. It's our heart. And our heart on its own opposes God. So what is the solution? The solution is God's heart under the law. And, you know, I think this is what really converted Paul. Right now, yes, he met Jesus on the road, right? But um, 
Meeting Jesus isn't the same as wanting to give your life to him and follow him wherever he leads you. I mean, a lot of people met Jesus and didn't do that. Walked away, went the other direction. But meeting Jesus made Paul rethink everything. And then Paul saw this problem and he had to search for a solution. And when he found it, he worshipped Jesus and gave his life to him. So what did Paul find? Well, remember, the covenant is based on a promise. Right? God promised to bless us, to love us, to make us a blessing, but we don't hold up our end. But God does. Do you know why God commands us not to lie? Because God is always true and always keeps his word. He always keeps his promise. God's promise stands, and that's our only hope for salvation. All right, or do you know why God commands us not to commit adultery? Because God loves us like a spouse. God's love for us is jealous and extravagant, like a husband fighting for his wayward wife. Our hearts abandon God and we run after other things, but God will not abandon the bride of his youth. Right? Why does God say don't murder? God cares so much about life that he went through death in order to save you. God tells us to be generous because God was infinitely generous with us. Right? God gave us these commands so we would know what it took for God to rescue us. God's salvation wasn't complete when his people left Israel, when left Egypt. God knew we needed our hearts changed. Which is why Jeremiah said, one day I'll keep my promises by writing my law on your heart. Right? God didn't just do away with earlier, earlier promises and say, oh, these aren't working. He upped the ante. He made more promises. Right? So he said, Abraham, I'll bless you. Moses, I'll dwell with you. David, I'll give you an everlasting kingdom. Jeremiah, Tell them I will write the law on their hearts. Ezekiel, tell them I'll give them a new heart. God made more and more promises so that he would fulfill his past promises because we never keep ours. Right? God made more promises because we never keep ours. God came in Jesus, giving his life as a ransom for sin to keep his promise to set us free. Right? We've never loved God with all of our heart and mind and strength, but Jesus did. So Jesus died to forgive us. And we never love our neighbors as ourselves, but Jesus did. So Jesus rose to give us new life. Right? And our hearts are full of wicked desires. So Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to cleanse us and to give us new hearts. Friends, Jesus did all these things before we ever did anything to deserve it. You don't live up to God's commands. You don't love God first. You love your comfort. You love your family, your career, your reputation, your health more than God. But Jesus came to set you free. He did everything. When he calls you now to follow him, it's only because he already set you free. So receive his salvation and receive his law for your life. Because they're both given by grace and for your good. If you want to live in grace, hear the voice of your Savior and obey his words. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you loved us first. When we were even your enemies, you died to save us. God, we pray that we would take hold of the truly unique salvation that only Jesus offers. God, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would turn our hearts to you. God, that you would give us new hearts that want what you want, that love what you love, that, that know what you are like and want to be like you. Lord, help us to receive your word for us as your grace because you love us, because you are good. Help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us go forth proclaiming our Savior's death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit until he comes. Go in peace. Amen.